for tuning in to the Revival Tabernacle Podcast. Wherever you may be listening from, we hope that this message encourages you in the unwavering, unconditional love of Jesus Christ. Join us as we reach sinners, raise believers, and release leaders. Please enjoy the message from the RT Pulpit. Uh, the book of Mark, chapter 10, verse 35. We'll get right to it in just a moment. But we've, it, this has been an exciting series, uh, Decision 2016. Uh, this has been uh, kind of a fun thing as we thought we'd play off the fact that uh, this is an election year. How many know that it is election year? I mean, you can't not know that it's election year. I mean, it's election time. So many people, and so many people are struggling with the decision of who to vote for, but not only on who to vote for, but what to vote for, you know, with these different proposals that are on the ballot. Uh, and people are taking very seriously uh, their vote as well they should because uh, these decisions can affect so many other decisions. And while, I, while I, I, I choose to refrain from telling you who to vote for or what to vote for, I do encourage you to vote uh, because it is indeed your right and responsibility, your civic responsibility. Let me just say this. We don't have to worry about the outcome of this election because God is still in control. You know... I mean, because the media has done just a phenomenal job of, 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 of in, injecting fear into our hearts. But let me tell you something. We don't have to be afraid. And I don't care, you know, who, who, who I mean, whether it's Hillary or whether it's Trump. Let, let me tell you something. It doesn't matter. You know, people are always kind of just up in arms. Uh, well, you know, I mean, the Supreme Court not nominating a person to, to be appointed, that's important. You know, all that's important. Let me tell you something. God is not restricted by who is in the White House. He's not. Let me break it to you. Let me say it to you this way. Do you know the largest nation of, or, 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 or the, largest, the largest number of Christians in a nation. Do you know where it is? China. Watch this. Where Christianity is illegal. They, they're meeting underground. <laughs> and they have over 200 million people that, com- that proclaim the name of Jesus Christ. So don't tell me that it matters whether somebody is in a particular government official or not or what's going to happen one way or the other. Let me tell you something. If you believe that God is in control, you have nothing to worry about. All you have to do is continue serving him, living for him, doing his word, praying every single day, and watch he will take care of you. I know he will. And so today we continue our discussion about choices, Decision 2016. It's really a a sermon series about choices because there are decisions that we have to make every single day. Somebody say every day. Every day we are faced with an increasing number of choices. Uh, Which of the thousand of cable channels are you going to watch today? Uh, How do you like your coffee? Which drive-through are you going to get your coffee from? 
from. I know Brother Dwayne, he always makes sure when he shows up on the job site, he has his Tim Hortons coffee. And Sister Lisa won't be caught dead at Tim Hortons. She's going to make sure she have her Starbucks uh, coffee. And, you know, uh, Ryan Manley, he walks in here with his 7-Eleven coffee, you know, or, or Speedway. I don't know. And so everybody has all these choices that we're making. Do you cook yourself today or are you going to choose to become a, a, a customer of the new Chick-fil-A out there in Somerset? God, praise be unto God that Michigan has a Chick-fil-A that's close by in southeastern Michigan. Hallelujah. I feel the Holy Ghost in this place. <laughs> Never seen nobody get happy off Chick-fil-A. Let me tell you something. I get happy off Chick-fil-A. It's a chicken sandwich like no other. Y'all ain't saying nothing. I'm just saying. Uh. <laughs> then there are more involved decisions like who are we going to add as a friend on Facebook? Or who are we going to follow on Twitter? And then we have more weighted decisions like we make that have budget implications. Various internet sources, watch this, uh, estimate that adults make about 35,000 remotely conscious decisions each day. In a contrast to our children that make about 3,000. This number may sound absurd, but I need you to look at this a little bit closer. In fact, we make about 226 decisions each day just on the food that we're going to eat. As your level of responsibility increases, so does the smorgasbord of choices that you are faced with every single day. You and I have been given free will and a multitude of choices in life, like what to eat. And if you're going, if, once you decide what you're going to eat, you know, okay, I'm going to stop at McDonald's. Do I want chicken sandwich, chicken wrap, grilled chicken, fried chicken, double cheeseburger, triple cheeseburger, quarter pounder with cheese, no cheese, hold the cheese, tomatoes, no onions, make sure pickles, extra pickles. Can I get that on a non-sesame bun? I like those little sesame seeds. What to wear, what to purchase, what to believe, what jobs and career choices will we pursue, how to vote, who to spend our time with, who we will date, even who we will marry, <coughs> what we will say, how we're going to say it. Should I send it in an email? Should I text it? Should I have this conversation face to face? Whether or not we would like to have children. When we have children, what are the names of the children going to be? I hope it's a boy. I hope it's a girl. Well, if it's a boy, it's going to be this. If it's a girl, it's going to be these names. Who our children will spend their time with? What are they going to eat? What are they going to buy? What are they going to wear? We're bombarded with choices. Each choice carries a certain amount of consequences, both good and bad. And this ability to choose in our incredible, exciting power that we have, each has been entrusted by our creator and for which we have an obligation to be good stewards of the decisions that we make. This is not a strange concept. As a matter of fact, the Bible says that God himself gives us choices. 
the book of Deuteronomy, the 30th chapter, I think we have this, 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 this uh, verse here, the book of Deuteronomy, the 30th chapter, the 15th through 20th verse. It says, see, I set before you life and prosperity, death and destruction. For I command you today to love the Lord your God, to walk in abundance with him, and to keep his commands, decrees, and laws. Then you will live and, and increase, and the Lord your God will bless you in the land you are entering to possess. Watch this, verse 17. But if your heart turns away, and you are not obedient, and if you are drawn away, to bow down to other gods and worship them. I declare to you this day that you will certainly be destroyed. You will not live long and in the land that you are crossing the Jordan to enter and possess. Verse 19, watch this. Here's God's choice. This day I call the heavens and earth as witness against you that I have set before you life and death. Now, this is a scripture where some people would argue that God is both pro-choice and pro-life. Because it says here that he's set before you both life and death. He's giving you the choice. But then God comes right behind himself and he says, but choose life. Choose life. He says, I've said before you life and death, blessings and curses. Now, choose life so that your children may live I'm sorry, so that you and your children may live forever and that you may love the Lord your God, listen to his voice and hold fast to him. For the Lord is your life and he will give you many years in the land he swore to give your fathers Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And over the last couple of weeks, we discussed that when it comes to big life decisions, big life topics, we as believers should have a different stance than the, than the rest of the world. A different perspective than the world does because we have the word of God as our guide. Are y'all with me in this place? We have the word of God as our guide. And as long as we have this word, we don't have to wander around wondering what we should do, how we should do it. Let me tell you something. This book is full of answers. See, most people don't want to get into this book because they know that this book has the answer. <laughs> and we necessarily don't want to do what it is that this is saying, so we refrain from asking the questions in the book. Week one, we talked about the worldview versus the word view on money. How many people remember that sermon? Talked about money and how, and how, and how the world will, will just go crazy over the fact that what, 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 do you mean? what do you mean you're giving 10% of your income, the money that you worked for? But we have to remember that it was the Lord thy God that gave us the power to do what it is that we do. And so we honor God, and we talked about how we call that literally our thank you note unto God. God, knowing that if we give you this first, we know that you're going to bless the rest. And then week two, last week, 
we talked about worldview versus worldview on sex and a fight to stay pure, even here among the body of Christ. And today, we're going to talk about, here in week three, we're going to talk about worldview versus worldview on the subject of power. Somebody say power. power. Come on, say it again. Say power. power. Come on, say it like you really got some power. Say power. power. Yeah, that's what I'm talking about, power. Uh, let me start with this, this first point. The world's view on power is this. Let's go ahead and put that up. Power is achieved by how many people are submitted to you. This is the world's view on power, that power is achieved by how many people are submitted to you. If someone has a lot of property, homes, cars, boats, if someone has a lot of money, if someone has a lot of uh, people working for them or on their payroll, if someone has a great deal of influence or business over business decisions or money spent or etc., all these things according to the world's perspective can make one powerful. It was an article back in 2013 in Forbes magazine titled, Money, Sex, and Power, How to Get Plenty of One. And it states here in Forbes magazine, Forbes magazine, it states that if you want power, money, or influence, you must master this one important skill. It's called negotiation. They said if you really want to master having money, power, influence, you have to effectively negotiate. Negotiation is what is said to of how to obtain power. In other words, the world says how well you can speak and persuade others to cooperate and collaborate is how you obtain power. This is what the world is saying. Henry Kissinger, former political science and diplomat, is perhaps one of the most iconic examples of a man whose negotiation skills helped him achieve all of it. Kissinger rose from a young boy fleeing Nazi Germany for the U.S. to a Harvard student and professor, from a national security advisor to secretary of state up under the Richard Nixon administration, and finally to Time Magazine's Man of the Year. He climbed the ranks with nothing but sheer determination and an incredible ability to persuade. While a truly controversial figure is what this one writer says, he is renowned for helping to end the Vietnam War and for, and for bringing POWs home, meeting face-to-face -face with the Chinese to establish diplomatic relations and, and personally negotiating the end of conflict between Egypt and Israel. By leveraging his skill of negotiation, he was able to put himself in a position of power and then wield it to create more power. Unsurprisingly, this led to other benefits, such as fame, money, which then created a stronger, what the world says, sex appeal. Years ago, this writer's colleague, he made this, what he called a brilliant observation when he said, if you have plenty of one of the three, the other two will follow. 
And we can see all over the world, people are using these things to manipulate and to cultivate and to bring about self-grandization among themselves. And this is what the world looks as power. It's amazing that this is how the world thinks. And sadly enough, this thinking has crept into the minds of the people who should have the mind of Christ. Now remember what it says. It says that the world views power in this way. That power is achieved by how many people you are submitted to. But let me take it to the Word of God because the Word of God shows power or views power in this way. Let's go to the next one. That power is achieved by how submitted you are to Christ. See, the world says you have power based on how many people or things you have submitted to you. But the Word of God says you have power based on how submitted you are to Jesus. Now let's go to the book of Mark, the 10th chapter, and we're going to start at verse 35. Mark 10, 35, we're going to read down through 45. Watch this. This is very interesting. Then James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came to him, being Jesus, and said, Teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. Now, let me just say this. What a bold request. <laughs> I mean, you got two of the disciples boldly coming to Jesus and saying, Jesus, we want you to do whatever it is we're about to ask you to do. That's just like somebody coming to you and saying, hey, I, I got a question for you, but I need you to say yes before I ask you. It's like they want him to write a blank check. <laughs> now, you have to understand this. <clears throat> they were asking this because in the previous verses, Jesus had just probably for the second or third time began to predict his death and resurrection, his death on the cross and his resurrection from the dead. And so anytime, especially in the Jewish culture, anytime there's getting ready to be someone who passes away, people, people whether it's family, it's normally sons, and in this case, these disciples were spiritual sons of Jesus. Whenever someone gets ready to pass away, there's always an inheritance to be left. And so, and, and, and so figuratively, what these disciples are saying, hey, we know you're getting ready to die because you, you talked about this two or three times now. Uh, we want you to give us, make sure that we get cut in on your inheritance. And so here they come asking. Watch this. So Jesus, <laughs> he didn't even talk, he didn't even address the fact of how silly it was that they were asking this. But he says, what do you want me to do for you? Verse 37, they replied, let one of us sit on your right and the other on your left in your glory. Jesus says, you don't know what you're asking. Can you drink the cup that I drink or be baptized with the baptism that I'm baptized with? They immediately replied back, we can. Jesus said to them, You will drink the cup I drink and, and be baptized with the baptism that I'm baptized with. But to sit at my right 
or left is not for me to grant. These places belong to those for whom they have been prepared. Let me just stop right there. This should be a lesson to all of us because I believe that all of us in, in, in some facet of our lives or another, we're all in various areas of leadership. Let me just tell you something. One of the things that I've always learned in leadership is that you're never in supreme leadership. And one of the things that I always tell people is, yeah, I may be in, in authority, but I'm under authority. Always let that be your safety guard. Always let that be your fallback because people will always try to come and corner you to get you to make a decision in and of your own self. But let me tell you something. We don't operate like that. Everything we do, we have to go to command. We have to make sure that it's all right with command. What are you saying? Because the Bible says, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not to your own understanding, but in all your ways do what? Check with command. And he will do what? Direct your path. So though you may have power and authority to make decisions, you know what? Don't let that be your default. Always acknowledge God. Always consult with the Father. Always have conversation with him because he will instruct you on what to do and what not to do. The Bible says like this, that there is a way that seemeth right unto man. In other words, there are some things that will come along your path that will sound real good. Oh, you don't believe me? Well, I can take you back in Scripture. In, in the book of Matthew chapter 4, when the devil came to Jesus, guess what? He came to Jesus quoting Scriptures. He came to Jesus quoting, quoting the Bible, all up in the Old Testament. And sometimes the, the very same thing can happen to us. Somebody come to us and say, well, you know, the Bible says, and we're like, oh, well, you know, that, that is the word. And we go off doing things that God never intended for us to do. Why? Because we did not have conversation or acknowledge him or check with command. Verse 41, when the 10, now watch this. So James and John, sons of Zebedee, also called the sons of thunder, when they heard, so when the 10 heard about this, they became, the Bible says, indignant with James and John. Jesus called them together and said, you know that those who are regarded as rulers in the Gentiles. In other words, he says, you know how people who are in leadership in the world, he says, they lord it over them and their high officials exercise authority over them. Verse 43, Jesus' response is, but not so with you. In other words, what is Jesus saying here? He's drawing a contrast. He says, hey, listen, you know how, 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 how the Gentiles rulers do it? How you operate and how you govern should be completely different. If he was talking to us today, he says, you know how people in corporate America do it? You know, they, they scheme, they connive, they backbite, they backstab in order to get to places where they want to be. He says, for you, that's not how you do it. 
In other words, he, he, he was saying, he says, you know how people in the world, how they will hold on to grudges and they will not forgive people who have offended them. He says, for you, that's not how you should act. You know how people, they, they, they can enter into a covenant and then the moment something goes wrong, they break it and, 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 say, and, and they'll be okay with it. Jesus says, you know what? That may be how they operate, but for you, this is not how you should operate. Not so with you. Instead, watch this, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man, even Jesus himself, he's saying, listen, even I, I didn't come to be served, but to serve. And to give his life as a ransom for many. So many things, but for the sake of time, I want to just focus in on on a couple things because I really do believe that there were three distinct areas that God wants us to have ultimate power in for our lives. But I want to share with you how to obtain it. How to obtain it. And I was going to go a completely different direction and then yesterday Court and I were blessed. We went uh, to a marriage retreat Friday uh, in Cincinnati, stayed over, attended the session Saturday, came back, and as I was on my way back, Holy Spirit just began kind of speaking to me, and, and I, I kind of made a, made a left turn in terms of my direction for today. And I, I, really, I really feel like this is for us today and that we really need to hear what the Lord is saying. So let me give you just three distinct areas on how to obtain power in three distinct areas of your life. The first one is power over the devil. Power over the devil. James chapter 4 verse 7 says this. Submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Amen. Let me help you today. Submit yourselves unto God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. I'll say it one more time. Submit yourselves unto God, resist the devil and he will flee from you. You see, you will never have power over the devil by educating yourself. You will never have power over Satan by trying to outsmart him. You will only gain power over the devil by first submitting yourself unto God. First, let me tell you this, your no to the devil only has power when you have first said yes to the Lord. Your, your no to the devil only has power when you have first said yes to the Lord. 
see, when you have not given a yes to God first, when you have not given a yes to God first, then your no to the devil is simply flirtatious, plain, hard to get. Y'all ain't gonna like me this morning, but I'm gonna preach it anyhow. See, when does, see, 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 you know how it is when, 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 when the girl is, is playing hard to get, no, no, Bobby, I don't want to. How, how does Bobby really take that? Oh, yeah, you do, girl. You just, you know, you just putting up that front. This is exactly what happens when you have not submitted yourself to God first and you try to tell the devil no. He takes it as, oh, devil, quit playing. Your no has no power if you have not first submitted yourself to God. So what does a submitted life under God look like? It is enforced spiritual disciplines. Enforced spiritual disciplines. Daily prayer life. Daily scripture reading. Daily devotional time. Daily worship. A fasted lifestyle. Let me tell you something. If, if, if you are trying to make it off of what you get here on Sunday morning, you're not going to make it. There has to be some continual implication, some continual application from Monday through Saturday to help you make it along your way. I've never seen someone who constantly stays in the Word and who constantly is praying to God struggle with pornography. The struggle is there because we have let down in areas of our lives that need to be enforced discipline-wise. Y'all ain't saying nothing to me in this place. I've never seen someone struggle with some addiction when they're constantly in before this word. Why? Because this word is a mirror. This word continues to show you where you should be and how far you are from where you ought to be. This word is able to help you and to guide you. It's able to provide you as a, a, a benchmark to say, this is where I am and this is how you need to come up in your life. This is this word and if you continue or if you discontinue from being in this word, you will always trip, fall, and, and fail. I know, I know, I know. He is a God full of grace and mercy. And it's good to know that he'll be there when you fall. But my brothers and sisters, it's better to know you don't have to fall at all. Because now unto him that is able to keep you from falling and present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding wise joy. I'm talking about our God is able to keep you when you want to be kept. When you want to be kept. That, that's the wonderful thing about God is that, and the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives, is that he's a, he's a gentleman. He's not going to force himself or his way upon anybody. But when you yield yourself to him, 
when you say, God, I can't do this no more by myself. When you say, God, I am tired of always failing you. I'm tired of always making mistakes. I'm tired of always messing up. God, I need your help. Let me tell you something. He will come right alongside you, and he will lift you up. He will bear you up. He will show you what it is you need to do. He will help you in the ways that you are to go. Power over the devil. Somebody say power over the devil. Submit yourself unto God. Enforced spiritual disciplines. Let me tell you something. This don't come by happenstance. It's like, it's like the struggle that I'm having with getting back in the gym. Mercy. I mean, it's like, it's like Romans 7. Every time I go to do good, that pizza is right there. Every time I go to say, I'm an Errol, Antoine, I'm going to meet you at the gym. And boy, that crispy chicken wings from Soul Food, Motor City. Or, 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 or the trickery of the mind says, you know what, I'm not going to go tonight, but I'll get up first thing in the morning. I told y'all the devil is a liar. And sometimes we lie to ourselves. Power over the devil. Let me tell you something. You have to push yourself. Paul says, I, I beat myself daily to make sure that these members stay submitted to the knowledge of Christ. <laughs> Anything that, that, that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, let me tell you something, that has to be pulled down. You got to pull it down. Let me tell you my secret. This has been something that's been working for me. Uh, Aside, and I, I've, I've, I've been very transparent with you guys, Courtney is my, is, is my ultimate accountability partner. Um, she helps me in ways that, I mean, boy, I tell you, where she could have every right to judge me and to be mad, she says, all right, come on, let's, come on, let's pray. And, and I mean, she'll grab me. But let me also tell you, sometimes she's not there. And you know what I have to tell myself? I tell myself... Choose life. This is what I tell myself. Don't, don't let people tell you, oh, you know, only crazy people talk to themselves. Okay, say what you want. I'm going to talk to myself. Because, because this word tells me that there were times when David had to encourage himself. Sometimes nobody else will be around. Somebody, sometimes nobody else is going to be there to say anything to you. But you have to learn how to talk to yourself and get yourself out of whatever it is that you're in. And so I talk to myself. I say, come on, Dale, choose life. Choose life. Don't make that decision. Don't make that choice. Choose life. He's set before us life and death, blessings and destruction. Choose life. 
And you know what? I find the courage, I find the strength to make the right decision. When I get, my, get in my head and get this word in my mind. I was telling my mother just the other day, I was having just a, a battle in the mind. And I put on some worship music and then God says, no, 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 go put on this podcast, listen to this message. And I tell you, the word instantly changed my, my mindset, changed my situation, changed the direction that I was headed in. God wants you to have power over the devil. And you can do it. Look at somebody and say, you can do it. Let me get point number two. Power in your marriage. Now, I recognize we got more single people than married folk in here, but single people don't tune me out uh, because <laughs> single people get more marriage counseling appointments than married folk. Amen. Single people, y'all know what I'm talking about. You know, they always calling me, talking to me about their problems. And I ain't even married. Yeah, okay, well, so, so listen to me so that you can give the right counsel. Y'all ain't saying nothing in this place. L listen to me so when they do come to you, you can give them counsel according to the word of God. Watch this. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 11 through chapter 3, verse 7. I've said to us before, when these letters were written, they weren't broken up into verses and chapters. They were just long letters that were, be, that were being written. And so sometimes we stop short looking at a particular section of Scripture. We stop short just because the chapter ended. But there's so much more that needs to be said if you just keep on reading. So when we look at 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 11, uh, Peter is talking to them and he's telling them about how to properly live before the world. How many know that there is a certain conduct that we are to have as we live our life before the world? Then he goes down, when you hit verse 13, he talks about how we should be submissive to government. Oh, we've kind of lost that. And then it comes into how to submit to employers. Good employers and bad employers. That's where it gets in, in around in verse 18. And then he just comes on down, and then it starts there in chapter 3, verse 1. And the reason why I, I kind of went back and just kind of showed you what was happening in chapter 2, verse 11 on down, is because of this. It starts off in chapter 3 by saying, wives in the same way. 
Well, I mean, if you're going to say in the same way, well, what way are you talking about? This is the reason why you have to go prior to in those earlier verses in the previous chapter to know what he was talking about. So we've set that up. He says, wives, in the same way, submit yourselves to your own husbands so that if any of them do not believe the word, they may be won over without words by the behavior of their wives. Whoo, my God. So let me just park parenthetically real quick here. Uh, when you have, when you're, in, I like what John Piper said. He, he said this, he says, you know, people ask me all the time, well, how do I know that I married the right one? He says, go back and look at the marriage certificate. <laughs> what name is on the marriage certificate? <laughs> you married that right one. <laughs> There's no out here, all right? And it's not till debt do you part. All right. Watch this. He's given very plain instructions to the wife. He says, wife, submit to your own husbands. <clears throat> that if any of them do not believe in God, do not believe this word, watch this. Uh, that they may be won over without you even saying a word. Yeah. Oh. <sighs> Boy, this is tough because that means that we got to lay down something. And sometimes, and I'm, I'm just, this is just the word. Sometimes, sometimes we just got to shut our mouth. I'm not being dogmatic or male chauvinistic here. No, this is the Bible, and, and this is giving us practical wisdom and understanding of how we are to deal when we have these situations that we're dealing with. He says, listen, it's your behavior more than what you say that will win them over. If, if he can see, if he can see that you're still honoring him and your honor to him is as unto the Lord. The Bible says that's going to win him over more than anything that you will ever say. He says, when they see the purity and reverence of your lives. Yeah. Watch this. Then he goes on and says, he says, your beauty should not merely come from outward. Now he says, you know, use that word merely. It's not, you're not saying, listen, don't do nothing to yourself if you got to do something. <laughs> Comb that hair. <laughs> Wash that crud out of your eyes, you know. Watch this. He says, not merely from your outward adornment, such as elaborate hairstylings, wearing of gold jewelry and all fine clothes. But he says, but focus more on this. He says, rather it should be that your inner self, the unfading beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is of great worth in God's sight, for this is the way the holy women of the past who put on the hope in God used to adorn themselves. They submitted to their own husbands like Sarah obeyed Abraham. Now let's go down to verse 7. It says, husbands, in the same way. 
There it is again. Be considerate as you live with your wives. And treat them with respect as the weaker partner. And as heirs with you of the gracious gift of life. Watch this. So that nothing will hinder your prayers. Boy, this is loaded. So let me deal with this real quick. Message to wives. Listen. Respect and honor your husbands. Simple. Respect and honor your husbands. Don't talk about them in front of kids or to your girlfriend on the phone. We have a lot of people today that say, I ain't never getting married. You know why? Because you keep running down your marriage to people that's not. And then he says, without words, use only your conduct. And then he begins telling you, don't just focus on your outward beauty, but inward beauty is much more important. We got that. Let me break this thing down for the husbands. Husbands, here's the message to you. He says, live according to the knowledge that you have of your wife. In other words, you know that a sink full of dishes when she come home is a button that gets pressed with her. So if you're home all day, since your tail don't have a job, make sure the dishes are done. If you know that your dirty drawers on the floor needs to be picked up, pick them up. Live according to the knowledge you have of your wife. If you know that she needs time and affection, give her time and affection. Because let me tell you something. Most times, y'all know Dr. Chapman's book, five love languages, right? Most of you do? Well, let me just give it to you. Um, Five love languages, you know, he says most of humanity kind of delves into these five distinct areas. Uh, Words of affirmation, physical touch, gifts given, acts of service, quality time. Okay? Um, I, I affirm for a living. I, 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 I'm talking all the time. This is what I do every single day of my life. It's easy for me to come home and tell Courtney and affirm her about how beautiful she is and how wonderful she is. And though I would love for that to be the case, that's not her love language. <laughs> it's easy for me, and I want to just give it, but that's not, that's not what she needs from me. 
Baby, you're so beautiful. Thank you, honey. <laughs> you know what she does need for me? Now, we, we, we live pretty intense lives on the go, and, and we try our best to bring balance and make sure that we make time. That's why I told you, we, we, we just got away, even if it was for just one night, going to a marriage retreat because we need to get poured into, need to, you know, that, that stuff is important. You, you, know what her, you know what her love language is? <laughs> Quality time. And this is what's amazing. The very thing that I have the least of is what she needs the most. And I believe God designed it that way because, let me tell you something, it was easy to fall in love. But it's work to stay in love. And God requires us to put in the work. We got to put in the work to make these things stay the way they need to stay. Y'all ain't saying nothing to me, but I know I'm telling the truth. He says, live according to the knowledge you have. Give her honor. Watch this. Treat her as your equal partner, not as your employee. Cook my dinner. Bring me my dinner. Take my plate away from my dinner. Pick up these socks. Pick up these clothes. Wash my clothes. Fold them for me. She's your mate, not your maid. I will double down and say it again. Because I think so many of us, we come into this mindset that this is what it is, and that's, that, that, that's not a healthy marriage. You may think things are going well, but she's sitting over there silently dying inside. Silently unhappy. And we have to make adjustments, men. Husbands, we have to make adjustments. Don't just say, well, this is how I always been. Let me tell you something, how you always been. Fix it. See, this is the reason why 51% of marriages, of Christian marriages are ending in divorce. 51%. Why? Because somebody is saying, well, this is how I've been, and she knew this how I was when she married me. Well, guess what? If you love her, change. And if me hollering it at you is not good enough, let's look at what the Bible says. That your prayers may not be hindered. You're praying and asking God for some things in your life, and you're wondering why they haven't come to pass yet. The question is, how have you been treating your wife? Have you been honoring? Have you been considerate? Have you been endearing to her as the weaker vessel, but also as your partner, as heirs? The Bible says she is your partner. You are joint heirs into this glorious life. And you're wondering why your prayers have not been answered. Sometimes you need to go back and just say, hey, you know what? I'm sorry for how I talked to you. 
I'm sorry for how I treated you for 25 years. I promise you, do it and watch the floodgates of heaven start opening up. Because it's the Bible. You get it right with her, and God says, nah, I'll start making it right with you. God wants you to have power in your marriage. Power over the devil. Let me give this last point because I know y'all want me to get out of here. So I'm, I'm, I'm going to go ahead and do just what you said. If the, here's the other part that I felt the Lord wanted me to speak on. That was power in our parenting. Power in our parenting. There is a grid that Pastor Tim shared with me. I'm sure, I'm, I'm sure it was teaching here in the church years ago, and it was called a priority grid. This absolutely changed my life. Priority grid. Write this down. Number one, God. Number two, spouse. Number three, family. Number four, job, career, calling. All together. Number one, God. Your relationship with God is the most important relationship in your entire life. Point blank, period. Number two, your relationship with your spouse, if you're married. Notice two and three were distinctly split up. Because a lot of times, even if you're married, once you start having children, your children become more important than your spouse. And, 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 that, ought not, and that ought not be. God, your spouse, Family, children, family, and then your job, your career, your calling, your vocation. The Bible says it like this, that we are to, in Proverbs 22 and 6, train up a child in the way that he should go. Even when he is old, he will not depart from it. I realize this that the moment I became a parent, I no longer um, was living for myself. We're living for ourselves. We're now called to live in a way for them. This was interesting. Not many people have heard about Bill Havens. Anybody ever heard the name Bill Havens? Let me tell you about Bill Havens. Bill became an unlikely hero of sorts, at least among those who knew him best. Here's his story. At the 1924 Olympic Games in Paris, the sport of canoe racing was added to the list of international competitions. The favorite team in the four-man canoe race was, was the United States team. One member of that team was a young man by the name of Bill Havens. 
As the time for the Olympics neared, it became clear that Bill's wife would give birth to their first child about the time that the U.S. team would be competing in the Paris Games. And in 1924, there were no jet airliners from Paris to the U.S., only slow, ocean-going ships. And so Bill found himself in a dilemma. Should he go to Paris or risk not being at his wife's side when their baby was born? Or should he withdraw from the team and remain with his family? Bill's wife insisted, she insisted that he go to Paris. After all, competing in the Olympics was, was the culmination of a lifelong dream. But Bill felt conflicted and after much soul searching, decided to withdraw from the competition and remain home where he could support his wife when the child arrived. He considered being at her side his highest priority, even higher than going to Paris to fulfill his dream. As it turned, the United States four-man canoe team went on and won the gold medal in Paris, and Bill's wife ended up being late in giving birth to their child. She was so late, in fact, that Bill could have competed in the event and returned home in time to be with her when she gave birth. People looked at Bill and they said, what a shame. But Bill said he had no regrets. For the rest of his life, he believed he had made the better decision. Bill Havens knew what was most important to him. Not everybody figures that out. And he acted on what he believed was best. Not everybody has the strength of character to say no to something that he or she truly wants in order to say yes to something that truly matters. But for Bill, it was the only way to have peace, the only way to no regrets. The interesting is the sequel of the story of Bill Havens. The child that was eventually born to Bill and his wife was a boy who they named Frank. 28 years later, in 1952, Bill received a telegram from Frank. It was sent from Finland, where the 1952 Olympics were held. The cablegram read, Dad, I won. I'm bringing home the gold medal that you lost while waiting for me to be born. Frank Havens had just won the gold medal for the United States in the canoe racing event, a medal his father had only dreamt of winning but never did. But like he said, no regrets. God will always remember. And he will always pay for what is right. when we put our priorities in the right perspective. Our community at Revival Tabernacle 
aims to reach our city and beyond with the life-changing message of Jesus. Thank you for your support. If you want to further connect with us, you can find us online at www.revivaltab.org.